Welcome to Drunk Art Review, the place where anyone from teetotal to blind ass drunk is welcome to give their honest ass opinions about all forms of art. <laughs> of course, this one is our mini episode all about forgotten artists, um, but we did want to give a little trigger warning just because I end up talking about uh, suicide and um, uh, some sexual abuse uh, and some incest. Uh, so great start. <laughs> um, also, uh, there will be a substantial chunk of a little bit in the middle where uh, Jenny's dog is playing with the squeaky toy, which is a lot of fun. Anyway, hope you enjoy. bottle of wine yesterday <laughs> and I didn't feel drunk oh my god <laughs> it's happening Rosie you've hit that age and, and that and that was on a Sunday a fucking Sunday a Sunday in Camden oh my god <laughs> oh my god you're so hip yeah <laughs> uh, well I mean you know I guess we should uh, talk a little bit about our um, forgotten art oh did you hear that Little, yeah. little honk what, outside, yeah. What an intro to the episode. What was I talking about again? Ah, <laughs> uh, my joke. So oh funny. Oh my god, it's dreadful. <laughs> Go on then, hit me up. Educate hit you me. Up. Right. Okay. <laughs> is it? This is our opener. Okay. Enjoy, folks. Enjoy. We're not even that drunk. Normally, we've been recording these after the live, so you'd expect this level mm-hmm. of insanity from us. But um. We've not, this is a different day. We're doing it on a different day. So there is no reason. This is just how we are normally. Just enjoy. Yeah, yeah. This is just calm, happy, jovial, Jenny Rosie convo. Drinking cider. Well, I am anyway. (sighs) Right. So, folks, we have been talking about the forgotten artists, which is this month's theme. We went into the live a little bit, briefly skimming over things. We kind of jumped around a lot on this live because we were both tiddly. We kind of like briefly mentioned what we were thinking of as forgotten artists so we kind of said you know you think about large art movements so things like you know Picasso was like at the forefront of his movement and there were some other artists that I mentioned but there's so many within that movement for example that aren't spoken about and it happens it's obviously happened throughout history but there's so many other kind of things that kind of contribute to that so we have to think about I think as well the amount of lost artwork that contributes to the so-called forgotten artists. So, you know, lost pieces of original art that credible sources indicate once existed, but they can't be accounted for in private collections or museums. But there's also reams of work as well that we may never know that 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 was in existence as well. So, I mean, I'm thinking about, we touched on it briefly in one of our Egyptian episodes. You know, there's so much of Egyptian culture and history that was lost, one, because, you know, it was pilfered by tomb raiders, essentially, and grave robbers, but also just because of the sheer age of it. Yeah, or even obliterated by their, their themselves, because, like, yeah. they, you know, wanted to forget particular parts of their own history. They're like, this person's not going to have their name, or, mm. you know, we're going to not have this part of religion within our society anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You spoke about it in the Egyptian episode, how, like, the, one of the new kings got rid of all the evidence of the old king. So, like... Akhenaten! You know, so, like, <laughs> there's so many things that we might not have even realised existed because this has happened. Things have been deliberately vandalised, or they could have been accidentally damaged by neglect from humans and mm-hmm. society in general. Or even, like, not even... Um, not released into the public eye mm. until like the artist dies 
Um, a lot like uh, the Goya black paintings. Mm. I mean, he literally, I've talked about them before, but he literally, he was in his um, uh, mansion by himself with, you know, a few maids or whatever. And, you know, his eyesight was failing, hearing was going, and he just painted these horrific scenes on his own walls. They weren't meant for anyone else. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've seen the one that I have up, uh, Satin devouring his son um, in here. But... She's got it on her wall, and <laughs> when I stay over next, I'm not going to face that wall. It terrifies me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we wouldn't have seen that until uh, he passed on or they, you know, whatever. So that happens a lot too. We forget, you know, artists sometimes don't want to share what they've made it's it's not in the public domain it doesn't have to be but we as society we kind of we pilfer and pillage and steal things from people who have died all the time because we think it's part of our own culture yeah. and like the other day on the live and also on the feed we talked about af clint who did the uh, spiritual artworks mm. and she didn't she wrote in her will that she didn't want her artworks released until years after her death so they've only really become sort of prominent again in the last 20 years so it happens mm. yeah you know we also have to think about so not just sort of human interaction apologies if you can hear rattling in the background my dog is just walking over the laminate flooring <laughs> um but there's things like you know so many like natural disasters when oh, you think about yeah. it so you know we've got things like fires and earthquakes tsunamis ice age do you know you know anything like that so like the list of events in history is endless i was actually going through them the other day to find some examples oh yeah atlantis <laughs> there was this whole whole page of things and i was like oh my god i didn't even consider all these it must have been like 80 or 90 on there just to, you know and these are like the ones that we can think of so there were things like you know like the yeah. road earthquake of 226 bc mm-hmm. the sacking of constantinople in april 1204 yeah yeah so the fire at the palace of whitehall in january 1698 and in more recent history pompeii yeah exactly there's been so many different things that have happened that we can't attribute to things and you know recently well i say recently but in more recent history things like the nazis plundering you know during the war well yeah i mean i'm going to talk about that in a minute (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um and another thing that i was reading about as well that again i don't think we consider about lost artists is um women artists often have been overlooked and forgotten in favor of their male peers often because in western standards you know by western western societies the men are seen as more the important sex but we have to think about the idea that women often get married and they change their surname when they get married which means there's this other layer of smokescreen where we are then losing and i was reading a really interesting article the other day and i cannot think of the name of the artist that was in it but you know there was all these works that had gone missing they didn't realize it was her because she had a different surname from when she first started making art so trying to track down all these things is mind-boggling well, I mean, I'm a big believer in keeping your own name anyway. It's just like, why should I give my name away? <laughs> I like my name. <laughs> I like my name. You know, it doesn't matter where I got it from, but it's mine. My own. My <laughs> precious. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like all those uh, natural disasters and people. It, I mean, I think it's like, um, it's like social. Oh, I'm not saying this right, but I think we put things in place to forget people to forget society. We hold on to specific things that we like. Um, It's a little bit like filtering. We kind of just filter out history. And it's only when uh, people decide to actually go and actually search for it that they'll start to rediscover these things again and again. But you know, yeah, a lot of history has just like wiped out women, (laughs) either from name or just because they are female or or whatever. I mean, even considering like the Romans and the Christians and like Catholics and the Christians within religions, they try and wipe each other out in history 
you know, because they're trying to put their word forward or yeah. what's the other one? Or like Native Americans, for example, when the white people invaded America oh and God, how they then yeah. tried to force the natives to assimilate into... Acclimatise, yeah. Yeah, you know, they essentially were wiping out their culture. So there must have been so much that was lost because of that. That's happened throughout history mm. through so many different cultures and religions and races it's never ending the amount of stuff we could talk about there was another thing as well what i thought of when i was doing my research for our, our live and that was like ephemeral art the artwork that is only there for mm. a day or a couple of months or, or a year and graffiti is like that too so i mean obviously like the whole idea of graffiti is that it will consistently be updated and repainted over and that's kind mm. of the celebration of it so it kind of made me it made me wonder how like some graffiti artists feel when their art piece is still there whether they want it to yeah. be like covered up and forgotten about and just kind of had a photograph taken and that be that you know that's the art in itself remembered for a little bit of time but the actual piece gone and I think, you know, a lot of history as well, a lot of the materials that they had at the time were ephemeral stuff. They wouldn't last more than a hundred years or whatever. So think of like sandstone sculptures and things like that, like immaculate, amazing designs just withered away. I mean, a lot of the ones that have been saved are held in sort of really specialized containers to make sure that they don't rot or fall mm. apart anymore. I know there's some that have got, there's this particular metal. I cannot think what metal it is, but it, I think they were talking about it in that series that they did behind the scenes at Victoria and Albert. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the metals had got this particular bacteria on it, which kind of made it corrode or did damage to it. And they had to keep it in this special airlocked container at a particular particular temperature to make sure they didn't wear away anymore but also thinking of like materials and stuff I mean someone like Andy Goldsworthy for example who creates things out of things he finds mm -hmm. out in nature with the intention that it won't I mean it's not going to stay there he makes this beautiful shape with all these leaves I suppose the difference is nowadays he's able to record it with photography but we don't know mm. how many people have been like that before and just created something for the sake of creating something not thinking about it being art but just made things that then were never seen because mm. they never got yeah. photographed. The alcohol fairy mm. is holding up well, a sign that says bronze disease, which is what <laughs> I believe I was trying to talk about with the little metal statue that has to be kept in the container. Oh, I see. Thank you, alcohol fairy. It's a sad thing to think that even metal can get diseases. <laughs> I think it like causes bubbles and stuff on the surface of the metal. It was really like weird to hear about, but... Well, I mean, it's like with, um, you know... <laughs> Thinking about the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Which I've never seen. <laughs> I think it's in Angel, Angels and Demons where they go into like the Vatican's um, homogeneously or homo what's that word? Where they're like sealed. It's like at the right temperature so these books don't uh, disintegrate or you know whatever. Um, and so like there's so much book history <laughs> that just gets like lost as well. <laughs> rolls being eaten by algae and and rot and all these other things um, I, I don't know like today we a lot of artists and i mean i'm probably one of those people um we make things because we kind of want them to record a part of our life or something and live beyond us so it's kind of balancing out the joy of just making something for the sake of making it and not worrying about its longevity and then like wanting to make a mark as us humans always seem to want to do very philosophical there, but... It was. I was, like, watching you, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm not even drunk. <laughs> do you want to hear my little story? Yes, I'd love to hear it. I did go a little bit in-depth with it, but I'll, I'll run over it pretty quick. It's just a really interesting story. 
So, like I said, we're talking about Nazis. I wanted to talk about this woman called Charlotte Solomon, or Salomon, and she was a painter. Do you, do you know her? You look like okay. you're... I know that name and I can't place her work. I'm just... I said Solomon from the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood guy before who was forgotten in history. You remember? He was the guy in the stables having sex. You mentioned him yes. before as well. Oh, her work seems so familiar. Charlotte Salomon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me dive into the story because there's some layers to it and I've got some um, uh, thoughts on why I chose her as well. So anyway, yeah, she's a painter who was, you know, she studied it uh, while uh, Nazi Germany was coming into its rising. And anyway, I like, this is about the artist that we rarely hear about um, because it's not either in English or part of our English history um, or wasn't decided to be big enough to break into our mainstream culture. So, um, it's, you know, it's like different cultures and significant people through, fall through the cracks even though the events that surround them are so massive. Like, you know, in this case it's World War II. It's almost like we, we only choose a, a small amount of artists from around the world for us to actually learn about, you know, in schools and things like that. And, uh, you know, like so much obviously was ransacked and stolen and fucking pillaged and burnt and destroyed in World War II, which is just like disgusting. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she was a German Jewish painter uh, born in Berlin and she is remembered in exhibitions and uh, she even has a street named after her and she has plaques around Berlin. And she actually has like quite a few plays uh, that are about her life that have been performed in London. Even like a ballet opera, which is really cool. I think you'd probably re be, really be into that. Me? A ballet opera? What are you talking about? I wouldn't be into that at all. <laughs> no, not you, Jenny. Not, not at me. all. Um, but the thing is, I'd never heard of her. Uh, you know, I, she didn't sound familiar to me. She, uh, she, she looked like she might sound familiar to you, but I'd never heard of her. I can't remember why. And until, like, it's like, until a light is shone on someone or given the time of day, you never even think about these people. So even if they're around or some people know about them, we all live our lives ourselves and we forget people and artists and... So yeah, she, it doesn't sound like she was really forgotten in Berlin, but to the average Joe, <laughs> nearly every artist is undiscovered. Uh, or even if they briefly hear about them, they're going to be likely forgotten. Like, you just don't keep that information around if you're just like the average person. And unless you're actively seeking and searching for these artists, it simply, like, isn't important. It's like life moves on, which is kind of weird. It's like a weird conundrum. We make art to reflect on life, but we'll often swipe it aside to uh, get on with life. You know, just round and round and round about. Which adds to the whole new perspective of the forgotten artist, in my opinion. That's kind of why I chose her. So yeah, why I wanted to talk about her was when I was reading her wiki page, <laughs> thanks wiki, um, I was like, fuck man, tragedy and twists and sadness and what the fuck and wow, and I was like, what? Um, and I love a little bit of mystery, so. <laughs> um, her main body of work is this series of 769 gouache paintings made over an 18 month period, um, 1941 to 19. 43 and it's called life question mark or theater do you say gauche i always say gauche gash gauche <laughs> did you just say gash yeah i just say gash <laughs> gauche gauche i always say gash gouache i always say gauche gouache gouache uh oh 
It's all right. Rosie's going to edit this bit out of the audio in the background. Don't worry, folks. Just listen to Rosie. <laughs> I can, I just, can hear the... <laughs> so just so everyone knows, that is my dog in the background playing with her sheep toy that for some reason has a duck squeaker. So enjoy. <laughs> Back to Mrs. Salomon. The funny thing is that I'm hearing that in the background and all I keep thinking is uh, gouache, gauche, ganache, <laughs> gash, <laughs> all these different, <laughs> or gouche, how do you say? I always say gouche. Gouche. Like a uh, yeah, I, I always say gouache, gouache. You say it almost like two syllables and I say it with like one syllable. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, always well. had weird pronun- uh, pronunciations with things anyway. Yeah, I, I, I might find. be saying it completely wrong. I was just, I just wondered <laughs> then. I was more like, oh my God, have I been saying it wrong my whole life? <laughs> I love those like uh, outside perspectives. You're like, suddenly you can see yourself on the outside, like how you're like, oh my God, have I been saying something wrong my entire life? <laughs> Is that like that girl that, um, oh, that was, <laughs> it's like that gone totally off topic but there was a meme doing the rounds on the internet and it was his boyfriend he took in taking a screenshot of a conversation with his girlfriend and he was like oh i'm going to i don't know wendy's or whatever and he was like i'm just gonna like oh again sorry for the sheep um i'm just gonna i'm gonna pick up some food do you want anything and she's like oh i'd like a seize her salad like she sees her salad and he was like a what you know sees her salad and he was like do you mean Caesar salad and she was like is that what it is like her whole life and she's like 24 and she didn't know it was Caesar like Julius Caesar and she thought it was literally like a girl seeing her salad it was ridiculous Uh, well I mean so many women go for the Caesar salad in the movies (laughs) that's so funny I'm sure that there was a word like that that I discovered oh I think it was I think it was Giclee or I pr- think I'm still pronouncing it wrong. Gicle. Gicle? Gicle. Gicle print. Oh, I always like to say Gicle because it sounds funny. <laughs> I like to say Gicle. Well, I, I, I always think it was like a, a, G- like a Gicle, you know. That's how you you're from Randalway, girl. <laughs> uh, anyway, with that wonderful interlude let me uh go go deep and hard Get and heavy with this uh... <laughs> so anyway yeah she what's her name charlotte charlotte Salomon Salom- salomon charlotte salomon um she no she relation did... to the bloke in lord of the rings <laughs> what saruman oh oh my god okay yeah, sorry that was a really bad pun um, anyway, charlotte salomon Yes, um, she did, like I said, 769 uh, gouache paintings <laughs> over an 18-month period, um, 1941 to 1943, uh, called Life? or Question Mark. And the whole piece has overlays of writing, like literal, like uh, sort of clear, well, as clear as you can get in 1940 paper that goes over it. Uh, and it feels a lot like graphic novels in parts because eventually it was like put together as a book. Anyway, the entire work uh, was a slightly fantastic autobiography preserving the main events of her life. Her mother's death, studying art in the shadow of the Third Reich, her relationship with her grandparents, but also her obsessive love for her singing teacher, but altering the names and employing a strong element of fantasy. She also added notes and appropriate music to increase the dramatic effect, like so she'd say what music would would fit each piece. 
series. However, in this series of paintings, the main question was whether to take her own life or undertake something wildly unusual, which I think in her mind was to live an, a life as an artist. Now this is kind of important because she thought her mum hadn't committed suicide, then was told she had by her granddad when her grandmother had attempted to commit suicide and then actually succeeded. So that was her mother and her grandmother. Then, You can't see her giving the middle finger to the motorbike that just drove past her house, folks. I mean, I should I should have my window shut. Hold on. I just like a little breeze. Anyway, I'm talking about like this really heavy shit and I'm like all over the place. Anyway, she literally found out all of these other people in her family had done the same thing. Like aunties, great grandparents, all these people. Did they have a diagnosis of anything? Is there any kind of like schizophrenia or? It's never brought up, but it, it makes it seem like there might be. Mm. But the worst part is she became her grandfather's carer, but he would always want her to sleep in his bed. And there was definite bad relations there, especially like when it's just the two of them and he was becoming old and decrepit. Excuse me while I down the rest of my cider. He's just a creepy incestuous old man. So uh, these revelations about her family and the disgust she had for her grandfather, um, she was close to a nervous breakdown. So her doctor was like, paint. You know, uh, the the way to cure it. Obviously, she she was a painter before that, so it it would be like saying, write it out, write your feelings out if you were a novelist. You know. Anyway, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take this from Wiki right now because it's very interesting. It's like thank you, Wiki. This series of gouache is an extraordinary and unique document. In great detail, it tells the story of Sullivan's family and friends, her own internal life, the political background, and her obsessive love affair. Honestly, like she was like in love with her singing teacher. Although I don't think they crossed the boundaries at all. Um, Salomon had artistic training and her household was highly cultured. The way she tells her story is full of tragedy, but the telling also reveals Salomon's sly humor and wit. The series starts out with highly detailed and multi-layered images of the life and relationship between her mother and her father. As the story unfolds, the style gets broader and more expressionistic. The last chapters are almost violent in their expression, as if Solomon is aware of her impending fate and can hardly wait to write and paint the details of her story as the Gestapo close in on her life. She was 26 when she died, um, dragged from her home in Nice, France, where she'd been hiding with her husband and transported to Auschwitz, and pretty much aghast the same day she arrived. Um, she was seven months pregnant as well. Um, the thing that got me as well, other than that, her like all that horrific ness, um, was before before she was discovered. She gave her work to a doctor that she knew um, and said, you know, keep this safe. It is my whole life, and I think this is why it's inspired like so many plays and filmatic like things like there was even like an animated movie that was being made but it kind of got stopped in like 2019 anyway this is the thing in 2015 a 35 or 19 page letter that it kind of differs from article to article she had written was made public about her poisoning her grandfather because she couldn't bear to live with him or care for him any longer well i mean I can't say I feel sorry for him if he was doing a nasty on her, like... Yeah. What our fans can't see is that while Rosie was telling all this horrificness, I was just downing my drink, just like... Uh. 
I, did, I thought you had heartburn. You're kind of like holding your chest. Oh, it's just like... Yeah. <sighs> I, that's what I mean about the fucking twists and turns and like, what the fuck? Because she made this amazingly like tragic and witty and uh, candid work of art but all this tragedy surrounded her so many people taking their lives and having life taken from them and then her taking life too it's like whoa heavy 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 uh so yeah she's kind of not you know known in england um but yeah, berlin kind of knows her i guess yeah it is strange isn't it how you get those artists that kind of are well known but only in particular areas yeah, yeah. Rather than the ones that, for some reason, everybody just pulls into the mainstream. I wonder why that happens for some people and not. Do you think it's because the artist is as good as everyone says? Or do you think there is a lot of luck that plays into it and knowing the right person at the right time? The stars lining up, universe, whatever, whatever you believe in. But I think luck has a lot to do with it. Um, but also mm. as well, I think it's all to do with the powers that be and their cultural persuasion over what should be looked at mm. we like to have we have fashionable things and art and people mm. are within that um we have trends of what we enjoy you know like with people enjoying watching serial killer murder documentaries oh, and things yeah. like that there's been a big resurgence of that like there was in the victorian era it comes and goes and people fall through through the cracks because someone who was in power was like nah instead of like yeah uh, yeah, I think that yeah, happens yeah. a lot. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm always very erratic with my storytelling, <laughs> with the laughter and the, oh my god, death and what, ah. Um, so you want to tell me some stuff? <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how to follow... Yeah, wow, I've got to follow up that tragicness. With, oh, just contemplating life. Yeah, it's tragic, isn't it? There's tragedy in the whole idea of, like, forgotten art, I think. There, it is. I think the thing that really like lifts this story up is the fact that she made this really candid, humorous, witty, uh, enigmatic piece within, you know, like the space of eight, two years before she died at 26, very much the height of her being herself and being a woman and, and yeah, it's just the tragedy and the humour mm. like weaved together and the power of it too. I mean, my God publicly admitting that she did that to her grandmother too is, is, is a huge strength. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about a lady, but I don't think her, from what I've read, I don't think her life was quite as tragic or anything like that. So just a small snippet of a story. And again, how kind of going back to how people get lost because of family situations and names and that type of thing. So there was an artist called uh, Marguerite Gerard. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't. No, so she was um, born 1761 and died May 1837. So, you know, quite a while ago. And she was actually one of the most accomplished painters of her time and actually had a really long and financially rewarding career. So you would think that we would have heard of her. The funny thing is, um, it's kind of similar to Meredith Frampton, who I posted on the feed the other day. So her paintings were and prints were produced in the Rococo style and she was super successful. But, but due, due to her popularity, at the time, many of her works went directly into private collections, which led to very few of them ever being viewed in public museums. So like Frampton, her artwork was so so sought after it went straight to a private collection and didn't ever see the light of day so it wasn't actually until the 70s with the emergence of a feminist critique of art history that a light was shone again mm. on her expansive body of work so in history she was actually 
like when they wrote about her and like looking at her works, she was overshadowed by the fact that her brother-in-law was super famous and he was a famous artist. Um, mm. And he was, let me get this pronunciation correct because I looked it up earlier. So he was Jean-Henri <laughs> Fragonard. That sounded pretty good. Jean-Henri Fragonard. I think that's right. I did check the pronunciation earlier. I apologise, but I have been practising. <laughs> so her older sister, uh, Marianne, who actually was also an accomplished painter, married him mm. when Marguerite was eight. And then Marguerite actually went to live with her sister and uh, jean Henri, you know, when she was a teenager, when she was 14. And then Marguerite became one of his pupils and studied painting and drawing and printmaking with him and learnt a lot of her skills through that as well. But then after her death, her works were often confused with his because they worked so closely together because she was her student so lots of her works were actually misidentified as his for a long time oh my god so she was this super accomplished painter but they always assumed a lot of it her work was his work and it wasn't until a group of historians were working on it and they were determining the origin of the pieces and they now kind of understand more the importance of her achievements and the body of work but it was this kind of close familial relation because she also had this famous brother-in-law painter who was sort of her mentor that a lot of her stuff was misidentified as his. So yeah, it's another example that, you know, a combination of her work disappearing into these private collections very quickly because of how popular she was, Mm. and a combination then again of how his pieces, well, her pieces were thought of as his. She's not been that well known. And again, it wasn't until this critique of art history that it kind of came to light that actually she was a super important female artist in that time period. So yeah. Well, I mean, you see that so often. The, the you know that they we well throughout time there'd be these studios run by the artists that we often know. But so much of the filled out space within the paintings weren't actually painted by them or sculpted by them. Like so much fine detail was just that was they they would give the idea and the instruction and so much of the the, the technical skill would be you know the practicing uh for a lot of the people who worked within the studio like like with i mean i talk about benini all the time but you know the benini sculpture where she's running away turning into a tree and then the nymph is being like caught by uh whoever all the delicate work of her fingers turning into, um, transforming into leaves, actually wasn't done by Benini. It was done by like someone else in the studio. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, that's it's not. Oh, sorry, I got very distracted by a blue tit landing on the window. Then, but similarly, in a similar vein, when you think about it, there's um, like big fashion houses, for example. You'll have a, a lead designer, so Dior, you know, but he didn't mm. hand sew every single one of his pieces. He had masters of seamstresses and people who worked on the fabrics who Mm. and i mean you can go and see the couturier's videos where they're producing the fabrics within the couturier's place that are creating the fabrics and the structures of the materials so like the lead designer is sketching the ideas but the fruition and the development of them they're involved in but they're not solely responsible for the construction of these Mm -hmm. garments because they have a team to do it for them so it is a similar kind of process when you think about it yeah and it's like with it's like with film, you know. You can, you know, a director. It's their vision, and you do you go uh, because you want uh, their vision for a film. Mm. But it's it's just about giving the appreciation to the people who have helped make something happen, or um, having a light shone. Because a lot of the time and throughout history, the praise <laughs> uh, gets wiped away um, and just sort of just anointed onto one being, you know. I remember seeing it. Did you watch The Dig on Netflix? 
It was about. Oh, I haven't um, watched um, it yet. Oh, I really would like to see it. Then discovering Sutton Who. Yeah, yeah, and you know they talk about like the actual the former man who's an archaeologist. <laughs> Ralphines. Yeah, he, he goes and he you know uncovers it, and then Ipswich Museum come in and you know uh, sort of want to over overrule it, and only until really recently was his name put on the discovery of Sutton Hoo, you know, the the Viking burial. And it's just like, all that work, you know, there's a real importance in honouring the, the work or who's made something or who's helped with something, you know? But I think a lot of the time, there's just not enough space in people's brains to thank everyone. That's just the, that's just our, our downfall, I think. We've been quite uh, articulate. <laughs> Considering we're not drunk. It's because we weren't rip-roaring drunk. <laughs> Our listeners know this. They know if we're rip-roaring drunk, they're going to get a shit show. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you got us uh, a little bit of um, free sponsorship from, um, you know, freebies from uh, Tiger Gin, right? I did indeed. Mm-hmm. I did. We'll be making, making a little video for that. They arrived over the weekend. <laughs> Thank you, Tiger Gin. Ah, I know, we'll do we'll do a special something when uh, you can come up, Jenny. We'll drink them and do a video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then maybe film an art challenge? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, get wankered, draw some shit. I'm into it. Thank you.